This is Everyday Photography Every Day, where you get to listen in on a chat between a photographer, that's me, and a regular human. That's me. With an eye on making your pictures amazing. No technical stuff, no talk of gear or software, just photography for the love of it. We're sponsored by Neomodern.com, bringing concierge photo printing and framing to everyone with a smartphone. I'm Suzanne Fritz Hansen, enthusiastic iPhone picture taker. And I'm Michael Rubin, photographer, founder of Neomodern, and grumpy old man, and we're in San Francisco tonight. Welcome. Hey, Suzanne. Hey, Rubin. How are you? I'm doing well this afternoon. How are you doing? I'm doing well, too. It was good to see you for breakfast the other day. I know. That was really nice. I like... You uh, came to breakfast should... with my parents and my husband. You know, you're... Your mom is adorable. <laughs> she is adorable. She's like, she? I see you. I, see, I get it. Like, I totally get it. Like, you were wearing a hat. Who wears a hat at breakfast? Your mom's wearing a hat. A beautiful hat. <laughs> so we're that, also just very pale, and so we needed the sun protection. Oh. In, in the restaurant? You know what? We were waiting outside for a okay, while. Okay, that's true. Um, that was Brenda's Meet and Three. Which, Brenda's uh, Meet and Three. Not which, a sponsor of the show, but yeah. we're very happy. If they wanted to be a sponsor, that would be pretty cool. I'd be so pretty happy. Cool. I mean, it is a, kind of an all-time favorite place. It is one of those places that you go and then you dream about the Creole Benedict for days later. <laughs> I, I, it, it was the catfish. Yes, it is so It's hard good. to get good sort of southern food here. You're not a southerner. You're I'm from Wisconsin. I'm not a southerner, but I eat all kinds. You do. <laughs> it's well, so delicious. It's good. And we're trying, um, the echo of the last couple episodes was nagging on me a little bit. So I thought that uh, we would get here in the HD buttercup room. I like is it. Is it better echo? Better and my echo chair control? is a lot more comfortable. I mean, the metal stools were, you know, great for my posture. I know. But... Well, I, my posture is being helped by this. This is um, an ergonomic chair from Fully. Is it making you laugh where I'm sitting it's on it? Me laugh. Yeah, I'm, okay, it looks like I'm sitting. Okay, she's laughing because like I'm sitting, sitting backwards on the chair. So oddly, these chairs are designed to be s- sat upon in any number of body positions because it keeps your body upright and or angled and right. I can sit sideways or backwards or yeah. it's designed for it. And these if are you could arm. just do a back bend over the chair and then talk into the microphone. That'd be really neat. That'd be nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, what else is going on? We have. Um, hopefully we're going to air this really soon because Friday night, maybe we'll air this before Friday, um, we're having an opening here at Neo Modern. Oh, wonderful. And it's uh, it's the first time we've really done a show of other people, of just just our sort of customers, our community. It's San Francisco, yeah. sort of amateurs, and uh, there's some professionals in there, but, uh, you know, it's just their personal pictures, really. And sort of the ethos we were we were judging on was just the kinds of pictures that people might take with their phones yeah. even though i i think they represent almost every type of camera and every sort of background and every kind of age yeah. and we actually picked uh, n- nine different photographers to kind of feature and so that's friday night and are they going to be here they'll the be here friday night on oh. the 11th at neo modern come on by at 6 30 p.m wonderful and it'll be fun and just you know meet us and uh meet the photographers so so that's a new thing but um one of the things that was kind of interesting is that people because we're like a gallery people think we're selling prints and so we thought we would make their work available but you know it, it begs the question like Pricing photographs is a dicey game. Like, we're not in the gallery business. Um, but it's a funny thing. And, it, you know, how you price a photograph is not obvious. 
Is it? And and it, one of the things that came up, I, I went and met uh, a gallerist the other day, mm-hmm. uh, Peter Fetterman, who has this amazing gallery in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. His taste runs very much like mine mm-hmm. and my family's. And so the things that he has, he had a bunch of Ansel Adams and, and Tice's mm-hmm. and um, some uh, more contemporary work. And it was fantastic. But we were we got into a discussion about how you how do you price this stuff? And I was also talking about this um, weird philosophy I have where I only want to make one one print of any particular image. It just feels like I don't want to be producing a commodity that, that you run off. I like it being like a painting or an architecture or a sculpture where you, you just make the thing you make and that's the one and people yeah. like it, then you go get it. I don't yeah. know. But he made a compelling case. He's the first person who's heard me tell that and made a compelling case about uh, the alternative of just like... For, just print it. If someone wants one, make them one. And don't charge a lot of money for your pictures. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how good you think you are or how famous you think you are. Really, the most important thing is that you let people collect your work. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, on one hand, you're thinking uh, scarcity makes it more valuable. You know, if you print one, that's different. Or And then gallerists tend to encourage photographers to do additioning. Like, right. we'll, we'll print 10. It's yeah. from a set of 10. And you, once the 10's done, they're gone. But that's the, really the same as one. It's just a slippery slope. Whether it's one or 10 or 50, right. you're you're trying to create some scarcity in some at some level. Well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I think it's like one of 50. You, every person that gets a print still feels excited that this is like one of a limited series but at the same time you're letting 50 people come like 49 more people mm-hmm. be able to collect your work yeah and, and how and, many would you be selling of each image anyway and not many it's pretty unusual to have an image that people want to own a print of an mm-hmm. original print of and willing to pay for that as opposed to just liking the image yeah and not caring whether it's original or not that's they'll make a crappy kmart print and it makes them very happy until it gets ripped or yellows and it doesn't matter they'll move on to some other decoration for their house as opposed to people who like respect the artist they love the work they take care of it and it's almost like an adoption you know someone i own i made this print i did, made it beautiful i love it and now you can take care of it and in whatever way you want it's going to a good home it's going that's exactly how it feels <laughs> yeah you know uh, I mean, I, I try to think of it like an architect. That must be painful to work on a beautiful place that you don't live in. And so you just move on to the next project. And you just hopefully have a... By the time you're old and dead, you've done a lot of great work. <laughs> and you can't live in every one of the houses that you, you made. No. So I don't know. He made a... And I'm, I'm often talking about how great photography is because it's so populist. Anyone can do it. And mm-hmm. if... If you make a really beautiful print and make it kind of larger, you can decorate with it, and it it becomes its own sort of heirloom, its great object that is easy to keep. But you did say, I mean, for your work, you would only print one print at that cropping at that size. Yes. So I mean, you know, if like you were going to have it bigger or uncropped or smaller part of a series or something like that like that in theory wouldn't break your initial logic of printing one true if i was going to make a and i thought what if i make unlimited small ones like eight Mm -hmm. by ten prints Mm -hmm. and they're very inexpensive maybe they're fifty dollars or some so they are ownable but if someone's going to actually make a large one they want something larger in some respect that that's the unique thing and you don't make a bunch of those But if, but honestly, if you make your living from photo- photography and you happen to have a picture that everybody loves, are you right. really not going to, you know, 
you make them. It, it, it's funny. I mean, as a collector, and I, I th- hope we'll get Peter on the show um, soon because he'd be cool to tell. He's, he every time there's a great photographer, he has some anecdote about that person. <laughs> oh, Robert Frank, what a crazy guy! Yeah. It's like, oh, I remember when he was doing this. And it's fun to talk to industry insiders in that sense. I, I was there's this photograph called Jerome Arizona, which is like peeling paint by mm-hmm. Ernst Siskind, and uh, I I've seen the print. It's uh, we have a print of it. It's one of my favorite beautiful it's just it almost glows in some some strange attribute makes it glow and, but i've been in other places where someone else owns the print mm-hmm. like it's also an aaron siskin original signed print not very good like i looked at it it's by him it's an original but it's it just wasn't a good day and yeah. as peter was describing this he was like yeah like everyone has good days and bad days and I made a print that day and it wasn't so hot or the paper right. was weird or the chemicals were a little cold yeah. and I just needed to make that for my cousin and that's the, the provenance of that image. Yeah. So collectors are not collecting just images. They know a lot about every time that photographer printed, you know, oh, in 1970s, he printed 20 of them on this weird paper and they weren't very good. But in the 90s, he printed this fo- set of five really large and they were gorgeous and yeah. Everybody knows. Oh, those five are here. These the the ones from the seventies are here. Um, How do you think they know? Because it's also it just it, I find it very interesting that you know back in the day you didn't have all of the sort of metadata that goes along with different files and filing systems, and it just feels like these things went out into the ether. And then how did people even know? Were the photographers that organized or the printers? No, there's that almost organized? no way they were that organized. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> right. <laughs> that organized i mean i try to be that organized when i sell a picture i have a database and i know who owns it at what size what paper i used yeah i've numbered it i've serialized it on the back so i know that's print 287 or whatever and okay so i guess you are that so i'm I'm that organized yeah but i don't think i think that was because i had to go in retroactively organize my family collection right where they were not that organized. Right. You know, um, my father was very much into the F64 group, which is, you know, Ansel Adams, Ed Weston, Imogene Cunningham. And they... And how did they get that name? F64? Yeah. It was... Like I believe it was given to them by uh, Stieglitz. Um, he... They assembled of kind of organically. Okay. Um, and, I, and I read a book. There's a great book about about how they formed. I think it was, you know, Weston's considered sort of the father of it and he brought in different people, usually his girlfriends of some sort and and, and then friends and and uh, kind of a uniquely bare area kind of thing. But their first uh, their first organized show was at the newly created De Young Museum in San Francisco oh, wow. and in 1932. And um, there was I can't remember the number of uh, the number of images in the show, but there are is a uh, document that shows okay, uh, picture number one, Ansel Adams, picture number two, Ed Weston, but they didn't have photo databases, right? So it just says the artist and the worst description you've ever seen. <laughs> so it'll say Ansel Adams, trees, uh, Ed Weston, seashell, oh, uh, imaging Cunningham, hands. You know, and you look at it and you Wouldn't think... being charged per letter or something? What the heck? I don't know. They were typing it. So maybe they were just being lazy. <laughs> so there's some photographs of the exhibit walls. You can kind of wide shots. So, so we know sort of what was in the show. Mm-hmm. But we don't know exactly what was in the show because 
the listings of everything are pretty pretty, pretty sketchy. But people have kind of tried to figure it out. And I do know that, uh, like, my dad was interested in trying to get all the pictures from that show that he... And the literal print, not just the images that were in the show, but the prints that were in the show. Wow. But that's different. The, the prints that were in the show, they were... It was 1932. The papers they had were whatever. They were unknown. It's cool. It's kind of cool from a historic standpoint. But every one of those photographers got a lot better Mm -hmm. and their prints of even those images that they did 20 years later sometimes are the best prints of those images so it's dubious to want the original from the show it's it's more like having the ball that babe ruth hit out of the park like it's just sort of a historic thing but you're not going to use that to play ball and i think that the pictures that were in the show I have a certain kind of historical interest. Were they, uh, I mean, back then, was it still archival paper or is all of that sort of yellowing or how are those pieces aging? I don't think the term archival came into play at that in that period because all photography, it, it was a process. It wasn't archival in the sense that, I mean, they, they fixed it. They did the best they could with the process they had. But if you put it in the sun, it would yellow. Mm-hmm. So collectors need to take care of those old prints they Mm -hmm. aren't always um, printed in a way that guarantees their longevity but we can do things to try to make them last a lot longer so when we take care of them we use archival methods we make sure we're not putting it on something that has acids in it we're making sure we're not gluing it to a board to show it we're corner mounting it so it can be safely looked at and examined so Today, we, we are trying to do things entirely archivally, but the reality is that, you know, the reality is that I don't think we get to decide what art is. Like, I know people want to say, I'm an artist, I make art, or there's galleries that show art, and I say that with a capital A or quotation marks or something like that. But I, I'm starting to believe that it's a silly definition, and really, the only thing that just determines if something is art or not is whether some future generation has decided it wants to keep that thing because there's a shit ton of stuff that's created by civilization works creative works of every form buildings and printed materials and things explicitly made by very creative people and if nobody wanted it if it was just dumb even if i thought it was great if no one ever wanted to keep it it would be thrown out. It would be junk. I don't know. I mean, I think there was a conversation that we had a few weeks ago, um, and it was like how time changes a photograph. And so even you had said, sometimes you'll go back and you'll look at your work or you'll look at your photographs. And I forget the photographer that we we're speaking to at the time, um, but we'll go, ba- we'll go back and like see something different in their work, see mm-hmm. something that maybe wasn't a top pull but okay. now because of what's maybe happened to the person in the photograph or something else that this becomes much i don't know much more appreciated Mm -hmm. so i feel like just because it's not appreciated at the time um like i know you're saying some future generation needs to save it for it to be art someone has to decide it's worth keeping there's just too much stuff for so but if you're the person that is saving it and that's like you know and you know you're the only one that likes it but then maybe years later because it has been saved obviously nothing can be appreciated if it's been if it's been destroyed okay but now there's such a different way of keeping things and 
I mean, conversely, destroying things, that if you're making all these things digitally, it's not that they even have fully existed in the first place. Mm -hmm. To use your metaphor, it's not photography until it's been printed. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that these photographs in, that are still sort of in this like purgatory, this like digital purgatory until they've fully been born and printed, um, that they're that they're not. How do I want to say this? It's like they're not fully alive. They're not fully dead. But it's not that they couldn't be appreciated later. Well, they they might be. But if for if my children go through them and don't and think they're stupid and just destroy all that stuff, it doesn't matter if they might have been amazing if they were discovered a hundred years later and there's it's just context what if what if all of the digital pictures created for the past 20 years were wiped out in a big electronic surge there would be a dearth of physical prints that survived and even if they were kind of marginal going into that period they're the pieces that have survived the war and the explosions and the time and so they become emblematic this is like idiocracy of art have you seen <laughs> yeah, that movie it yeah, came out in 2006 idiocracy. i actually didn't see it until recently but um they basically are of just average completely average intelligence but they fall asleep for like 500 years or something and so when they wake up again civilization is terrifyingly stupid i mean and what's terrifying is now i'm seeing it in 2019 and it's very it's a lot closer to reality than it was in 2006 prescient yes and you're just like oh god i feel sick but um it's it's like that they're like these superstars who write the world write the write the shit become president but that's the i think that's the 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 definition of art is going to be something done in hindsight i don't think we have the context I mean, we can decide in our current era what we think we want to keep, like by people we like or we, we've seen their work or we think it's worth trying to keep it. But at the end of the day, we don't really know. We don't really know what other people will find relevant or emblematic of this era or unique or what led to other things. But I think it's also about saying something of our time. So I think like art is, is making a statement telling a story and think of you know jr's mural for mm-hmm. example that's at the sf moma right now uh-huh. um that is telling a story of you know a lot of contemporary references that is out there it's making it, it's it, it exists are you making an argument that we would have to call that art today even though we don't have the benefit of hindsight yes. Yes, I mean, I because think it's so interesting and so compelling and so well done. Because it's saying something, it's making a statement of our time that is relevant right now. I don't think we need hindsight or future generations to tell us that is a poignant thing that was said back then. I think we have the mm. ability to recognize art in our own time. There is this other piece of it that maybe some other, maybe underappreciated. Um, like, I mean, I guess, you know, Basquiat, he wasn't very famous when he was alive. Or Van Gogh, a lot of these guys Right, didn't... I mean, there were future generations that sort of, I mean, there was inklings, there was a, a start, obviously. I mean, the, that Basquiat story is really sad, but he was being represented by a gallerist who believed in him and kind of was like putting him in this basement, basically having him churn out art. Um, but then that became really valuable after his, after his you know, premature mm. death. And Van Gogh and... You, there's a lot. There's so many examples of of artists that became much more famous after they were dead. But I, at the same time, I think now we have different ways of getting the work out there. And that if we're saying something very important, relevant, 
it can be art now. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I almost think of it like um, I know that governments, at least the American government, won't put you on money or on postage until you've been dead for a certain number of years. I don't know what the number of years is. Five but I wouldn't or, call postage art, to be fair. But, but uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm only saying that they recognize that there's so much bias and political issue. There's so many things that might have people lobbying to get that person on a coin or on a stamp that you need that that we need the hindsight. They have to not be alive. Mm-hmm. For, I mean, there's probably lots of reasons for that, but that they have mandated that you need to wait a little bit to make that judgment. In fact, you have to wait some number of years. I read somewhere maybe that uh, Kennedy. Uh, after his assassination, it was the only time that they had bypassed the rule they had made because they put him on coinage almost immediately. Hmm. Um, they didn't wait the prescribed period of time. But, you know, we may find out that he was a schmuck and that he shouldn't, doesn't deserve to be on coinage. We should have waited some period of time. Of course, I mean, we would have put Columbus on a thing, and now mm-hmm. today we wouldn't do that, right? right. So, so uh, I think that, yeah, you can look at creativity and works that people have made and have a a lot of words to describe them but at the end of the day i don't think you know what you're going to keep and what's going to matter and you can't kind of know while you're in the middle of it while you're living it and even while you're loving it i think you can i absolutely think you can and you have to i mean i once was talking to an art collector and i said how do you like how did you start collecting art how did you buy your first piece and he's like you start you start with a piece that that screams at you not just that you fall in love with but just like shouts at you from across the room that you're like i need you in my life day in and day out and that's how i started and so i feel like you absolutely need that in that emotional reaction to be now and present not like i'm gonna put this and in fact, why do you have photographs up? Because you want to see them. You want to have them present in your life, in your day. And I I guess I'd argue that it is, it is important to recognize it now, not to put it in a closet and then see if it's art later. I would also say, again, postage stamps and a government's concern about a leader or a um, celebrity figure that may potentially go on something um, pretty banal mm-hmm. is not the same thing as art we want to make a statement we want it to to ruffle feathers and start conversations hmm okay well if we can bring this around to photographs yeah yeah it's like what is worth taking i mean it's hard to know i mean you can point your camera in every direction right you can Mm -hmm. photograph any little thing you don't have to go anywhere or do anything it's and as um gary winogrand would say right it's I take a picture of something because I'm curious how it'll look photographed. Right. And um, and Erwitt would say, you know, uh, it, it, it's not the object. It's the way you see the object. Right. Okay. So these are, so anything can be photographed. So what do we put up on our walls? What do we want to see all the time? What are we going to elevate? What's a moment we want to relive, extract from the fractional second that it happened and make it something we want to see all the time. Well, I think that's what we get to decide. I mean, I like what uh, Annie Leibovitz had said about it's it's a way of seeing, and it's taken me years to see. And we talked to... Mark Citrit was talking about noticing. Exactly. And Mark, and um, with, with this idea of noticing, whether it was like a tennis court net in mm-hmm. the sunset, I mean, like that, looking at that picture, 
that is something I would have walked by a million times and probably and not seen it the way that he captured it, but he was able to create that image. He was able to create that image that he saw. He was able to create that image that he saw in a photograph that could then be shared with everyone. And granted, mm-hmm. it's not a big political statement, but it's still, it's an act of, this is something that I'm sharing that is, that I'm putting out there that I wanted you to see. I'm so putting me, this out there. I wanted you to see what I, I saw. I noticed this thing. Yeah. It caught my attention and I bet you missed it. And I'd like you to see how I'm seeing it. Right. That basically what we're what we're yeah. saying you're doing when you're taking a picture. Well, and I think just art is sharing. Photography is sharing. You get to share these moments that this one person captured. You get to share time. So maybe we really shouldn't charge much for pictures. They really are something that should be very accessible to everybody and not make it into art, not make it super expensive. And, and why does art have to be super expensive? Well, it really shouldn't be. That's what's, it's such a, a, a democratic thing because you can take your camera out, take any picture, take a picture and make it beautiful. Make it, it's, you know, it could be amazing and you, you don't have to go to school for your whole life to do it. And that makes it something that anyone can do. I can't buy an oil painting that I love necessarily, but I can take a picture that I love. I think the nice thing about printing photographs that we take is that they're all things that I've captured that you know that you or I or people we know that that they have captured these moments and they're more they're relevant to me because I get to see the way that they see things and I have a personal relationship even more so whether or not I mean I like the photograph the photograph is great but I think there's another level of when you see uh, professional photographers are really great work where they have a different way of seeing that is something that never would have occurred to me that I wouldn't have gotten that shot because I didn't think of it and so I think seeing things like that that is it, it is next level and I do see the importance of in investment in those pieces but I love the democracy behind I, yeah I just I love the democracy but behind everyone you know everyone can have work that is worthy to hang on their walls yeah i mean that's in in some way that's what this show this weekend is and when i look at the pictures on the wall when we went through the submissions when you see submissions smaller on a screen you know we're looking at them and we're like well i think that one i would like that one but none of them not none of them uh, many of them were like i'm not sure like it's hard to know it looks kind of cool yeah I bet you the person who took it has never seen this printed large. Right. So we were kind of looking through them and, and looking at them larger and thinking. Yeah, so tell me your process. They, you had people. We asked people on Instagram, on, on Instagram okay. because we wanted um, to reach basically those photographers. Yeah. Um, we didn't care if they were professional or amateur. Uh-huh. And the only guidance we said was that I didn't want them to be... Um, you know, studio shots with okay. like external lighting and models. I didn't want them to be um, the kind of stuff that you couldn't tell. Oh, like, oh, here's the president of the United States, or right. you know, here's the right. Jimi Hendrix. You, you didn't know? want it to be about access. Yeah, access should it should have been open access for the most part. Just okay. people noticing things around them and choosing different ways. And I wanted them to kind of represent a range of cool ways people uh, saw stuff. Okay. Um, and so you've got all these submissions. So we got a ton of submissions. We got hundreds of submissions. Oh, we asked cool. people to send. <laughs> we literally said send three to five images of your work. Yeah. Like let's, let's get a range of people and it, and um, 
and they all came in and we weren't charging Mm -hmm. we wanted to see everything we want to see as much as we could see because i and that's rare right a lot of photo contests will yeah photo contests are money-making ventures for people and my interest was not um for us to be making money at this i wanted to see the widest array of basically consumer photography or a, a hot people who are doing it for the love of it yeah you know for the most part didn't, weren't making a living from selling prints of their work but when we printed them out and hung them up here and they're in the gallery now um, like i said the show's friday night um we were blown away like the st- we all walked around looked at them and thought if i told you that this was from my collection of great works from the past 50 years you might believe it. That's very cool. Yeah. And so you printed out, did you print out just these nine or did you print yeah, we out printed more? Yeah, we printed 11 images. We um, Before selecting, we'd printed a couple others that we weren't sure about to see okay. what they would look like. But we pretty much could tell. Yeah. I mean, we're looking at them on a large screen. And, you know, at, at the end of it, it was hard. We thought we were going to pick three people and just feature their work. Yeah. Three and show the three or five pictures that they had mm-hmm. submitted. And what we found is that even people, some people had work that we absolutely loved, but we didn't love everything they did. Right. Which honestly is the way I feel about Ansel Adams. Yeah. Like I don't love everything Ansel Adams did. Right. I certainly don't love everything Robert Frank did. I mean, yeah. it seems sort of sacrilegious to say it, but it, the greats of photography for me just mean that they have many pictures that I like, but it doesn't mean that I like all of their work. Well, do you, does anyone really like anything anyone does 100% of the time? No. I mean, if so, then they're not taking the risks that they should. Okay, <laughs> fair my, enough. My fair theory. enough. Um, and so with this group, people posted a lot of stuff. And I was reminded something my sister had said to me once when she looked at a bunch of portfolio pieces I had, which is, I think you're a good photographer, but I don't think you know what pictures are your good photos. Yeah. And so as people were submitting to us, I also wanted to see whether I thought people knew what their best photos were. I, I asked them for their Instagram handle as well, and I looked at every one of their feeds of Instagram oh, to see if the picture they had submitted was kind of emblematic of the way they looked at stuff, or did they just kind of nailed this one shot, yeah. and, they, and for the most part, they couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, and there was a range. Some of them, I just, I, the ones we picked for the most part were photographers where I, I really felt like a lot of their work was interesting. Yeah, and, they did deep uh, well. Yeah, I thought it was good. That's nice. Well, what I like that you've done is you have the three photos of kind of the sort of winner. Yes. But then you have all these other photos of sort of like a group runner-up. So with this group runner-up, are you going to do something like... I'm thinking like America's Got Talent or where you have the audience vote. The audience gets to call, call in or people that are here. Do they get to vote on? Like, they do not get to next? vote. This is not a democracy. This is not a no, democracy. This is my gallery. <laughs> but I felt that um, Marge Green, who uh, was our sort of our grand prize winner over yeah. there. Or is that a surprise? They're uh, not launching that at I don't think it's a surprise. She knows. She knows. She okay. knows. Um, and now you and guys. And everybody should come now, and see her work. It's it's, really, it's beautiful. And she's it's like sculpted. She's been shooting with her husband. They're cl- clearly ho- wonderful hobbyists, and they sell some yeah. of their work. Oh great! And then there's people here who <clears throat> shooting with their iPhones, and there's people who every kind of camera. Did I say that? Yeah. I, I was. I was astonished i thought we would see some consistency in the devices used and the fact is of course we're not seeing consistency it doesn't matter what device from plastic cameras to film to from nice nice um dslrs to regular and moderate price tools yeah it's i mean it's not about the technology it's about the seeing and who was it that said like once you get too much equipment you're dead you can't move oh who said that I don't know. I like that. I'll look it up. 
I think we said it now. Maybe. No, I don't think we said that. Um, Credited. Right. Everyday photography. Every day. All right. So I think that's... Well, one last question. So huh. you, I can actually buy these prints, you said. Yeah, they're for sale. And that and that kind of circles us back to the question of pricing. Um, and I thought that one of the ways that Neomodern could be useful for photographers is to take kind of... I know it sounds wrong-headed, but I'm open to discuss it, but set pricing for this kind of thing like make it not so enough that it is cool when you sell it Uh, none of these people are really supporting themselves so it's almost found money that supports their hobby and their their love of photography so so let's find the right price and let's set it and make it easy for and we'll sell everyone stuff at that price and um so we're trying that out it's you know uh, and we're splitting all the revenues with the photographers whether it's printed and or framed yeah, if, if anything sells. And again, that's not our business. I, I just want to see the photographers kind of recognize what it's like, how different it is to see your work printed and how cool it is to see it up on a wall. Oh, well, it sounds like a great event. I cannot wait until this Friday. I hope you guys Are you going to make come. it? Are you in town? Um, I will unfortunately be not in town. What I, country will you be in? I will be in the U.S. I have a, a celebration of life this weekend. Oh. So I will be attending that. Oh, um, cool. That's yes. cool. Yes. But otherwise, I, I will be here in spirit. Okay. Well, you, well, I'll represent. Thank you. Please do. Um, and I will be at the next one because this sounds like a, sounds very, very fun. That's good. Okay. So let's see what else I want to say before we wrap up. Um, HD Buttercup, thank you for the super comfy area where we're recording. I, and let us know. Yes, I think the echoing you. may be... This leather couch is fantastic. It is very comfy. <laughs> I'm, I wish I was... I'm on the Fully chair. And Fully is another one of our partners and uh, does the workspaces. For photographers who are listening to this, uh, we are making our gallery open in the evenings to you. If you want to teach a class or do a crit or anything, um, we are uh, we want to be a, a hub for photography in San Francisco. So let us know. Follow up on that. Let's see if there's anything else. We do have uh, we have the the winners up. But we of course also have a lot of the Ruben collection is up. We have some Cartier-Bresson and some Czechoslovakian modernists over here. Tamej and other people like that. Um, so that's pretty much it. I'll see you later. I'll see you later. Okay. Our show is recorded and produced in San Francisco. Go to neomodern.com slash podcast to get show notes, see photos, and post comments. Please leave reviews and ratings on iTunes, and don't forget to subscribe. We get new listeners from you telling your friends and spreading the word. If you know someone who might get something from us, send them a link. Thanks to Mitchell Foreman for our theme music and all of you for hanging out with us. We appreciate your attention and hope we've given you some things to think about. Until next time.